Welcome to the Foxy Podcast, a bi-monthly show brought to you by Freeform Freakout. The show is produced at KMSU Studios in Mankato, Minnesota. And here on the Foxy Podcast, we try to dig deeper into underground and experimental sounds of the past and present. And welcome to episode number 217 of the Foxy Podcast show. Hope you're all doing well out there, wherever you're listening from. On this installment of the podcast, I'm going to dig into the sound work of Adam Bowman. Based in the UK, Bowman's vast output traces back to the underground tape trading network of the 1980s. His artistic pursuits are quite varied, so for the sake of concision, I'll quote Cafe Otto's nicely written bio here that gets at the heart of his work and much of what we'll be covering on this episode. Adam Bowman has been operating on the outer fringes of underground music for decades, working with home-built instruments, found objects, tape cut-ups, collages, ink drawings, and graphic scores. Favoring acoustic sounds over electronics, he explores the minute tendrils of sounds coaxed from any number of non-musical instruments and objects. He's a member of British experimental groups Morphogenesis, the Bowman Brothers, Secluded Bronte, and the London Improvisers Orchestra. Adam's music is unique and experimental, incorporating fluxus japery, music concrete, sound poetry, and free improvisation. This past month saw the release of the third installment of Adam's Music and Words series that Paradigm Discs have been issuing that cover a range of his earliest tape recordings taken primarily from the 1980s. So it seemed like an ideal time to try to connect with Adam, and fortunately over this past week we were able to make that happen. Adam joined me for a virtual interview while spending an afternoon at Clive Graham's flat in London. Clive runs Paradigm Discs, and regular listeners of the show may have heard the label feature that I did with him back on episode number 177. And you'll hear Clive make a few brief appearances on this show. But on this episode, you'll hear my interview with Adam spread out in a few different segments throughout. And you'll also hear several tracks from the music and words releases, along with other solo and collaborative work that Adam has created over the years. Before we get into the first interview segment, I'm going to play some of his solo material, starting with a track that dates back to one of his first more widely available titles from the 1990s. This is a piece called Parsnip Soup Surrender from the album Last Orders.
feeling very ill, girl. Why don't you go down to the doctor's?
preparation for this interview, I, I went back and I listened through a bunch of your releases, Adam, and, and and one of those was that Bowman Brothers tape called In Their 70s that came out just a year or two ago, actually. But the, materi- yes. but the material heard on that tape are, are, are sound collages comprised from these old recordings that you and your brother Jonathan had made back in, in the 1970s. And I guess this had me thinking about when it was that your interest in making recordings began? Like, do you have any recollections about what led you down a path of home recording or just tape recording? Was it was it music initially? Was it just sort of mucking around and goofing around with the tape recorder? Hey, I think there's several reasons. I mean, in the early 70s, 1972, 1973, there were pro comes on the BBC like Jazz Today and various other things like that and and there was a program that was very important music in our time uh, which went for years and years that was our contemporary composed music and my father was a musical advisor he had been a music teacher in the 50s through to the 70s and then he became a musical advisor which is more an administrative mm-hmm. um, administrative job for Ealing, um, mostly, which is part of London, like Borough of London. And and I initially started playing the trumpet and the cornet. Admittedly, I never became a very good um, trumpeter, uh, but that sort of inspired my interest. And I was hearing these programs on the radio. Uh, and, and my father had an old German reel-to-reel uh, a recorder, so uh, 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 
myself initially I, I did some experimental recordings on it using kind of homemade strings and objects and I mean it's hard to say exactly how this arose maybe I heard experimental music on the radio and I was immediately interested so at that stage it was making home recordings and things so this must have been about 1973 the earliest of that yeah yeah and we just made recordings of that and then slightly afterwards we got into cassette recorders the old style kind of rectangular ones right mixing the sounds from that so it happened over about a two-year period we just became more and more interested in it yeah. And we did play in a kind of rock situation. It was Jonathan, myself, and two friends, Robin Cliff, who lived in the local area. At that time, I was living in a town called Ashford, Ashford, Middlesex, uh, which is slightly outside of London, about 15 miles. And then from there, we moved to Sunbury. And then uh, uh, my parents more recently lived in Chertsey, although. Sadly, they're not around anymore, the two parents. Uh, but, but it happened over a, a period of time that we were playing more ex ex experimental rock, but perhaps unusually that we never did any live performances. It was always playing in each other's front rooms or wherever. Yeah, yeah. And, and this went on into the 80s, really. Yeah. Well, you know, on and one of the the first music and words compilation, uh, one of the talking tape pieces, the at home tape pieces, includes you listening to John Peel's Festive Fifty, and I would imagine, like you're mentioning, yeah. radio programs that must have been uh, another gateway for you uh, into into music, more like far flung music. But yes, certainly, certainly earlier on, I I did listen when I was in. Uh, when I was at secondary school, I mean, with the English system, that would be from eleven to to fifteen. I did uh, I did start listening to John Peel very late at night. Mm -hmm. Shows were from ten p.m. to midnight, and on on those, I heard all the people you'd expect: as Soft Machine, Henry Cowell, Lowell Coxill, yeah. Fred Frith, Hatfield in the North, and I was immediately interested. In that, I'm not sure if those particular bands influenced me as such, although it, right. it might have happened in a more subtle way. You know? Yeah, but John Peel yeah. surely at that time was much more of a new wave. You know, he was he was really into the fall. I mean, that was mm -hmm. yes, except that was slightly later when I I first started listening to John Peel. Yeah, it was about 1974 uh, and 75. So he was at that particular. Point. He was more into kind of um, prog rock, you know, right. soft, all that, that sort of thing. I think, I think his interest, obviously, in the new wave and punk was slightly later. Obvi yeah, yeah. Ob I, I, I yeah. forgot that he was. Was he yeah. still? He was doing a show as in the mid seventies. I didn't. Even mm, yeah. Well, I um, mean, even earlier from about nineteen seventy. Yeah. Well, yeah. I would have been a child. So. And it's interesting. I'll just just um, throw this in uh, because it. It, it's not really entirely relevant. Uh, there was this DJ, a very talented DJ that I don't know much about. And he, I think he had Parkinson's, he ended up with Parkinson's disease um, called Stuart 
Stuart Henry, mm-hmm. who's like a Scots DJ, had a very distinctive style. And we accessed, when I was in Chertsey with Jonathan, we were doing some recording or rehearsing for some concerts. He played me a Stuart Henry show from about 1969. Mm. And he was playing tracks from Egg uh, oh, you know, yeah. at that, that time. This was late at night, admittedly, but he was interested. Yeah. But sadly, he, he developed this like disease, this... Uh, a progressive disease, which I think was Parkinson's, and he had to stop at a particular mm. point. His wife used to help him out in the studio and oh, stuff okay. later. I mean, he's dead now, I think. Okay. Well, you, you had mentioned that um, you, you were playing trumpet. I would imagine the trumpet maybe came when you were like elementary school, primary school age or something like that. You pick up an instrument. Well, it was actually secondary school. Cool. And as okay. previously mentioned, I never reached a very high standard on the trumpet. I did okay. play in an amateur orchestra oh. in a local town. I can play tunes. And as you've heard on the CD, mm-hmm. there are multi-track trumpets, parts and things. Right, you know? right. It's an instrument I've always liked, but it, it's a particularly demanding instrument mm-hmm. um, uh, to, uh, to play. Not the way I approached it. I think a lot of trumpeters lose their lip later on yeah, <laughs> right. the extraordinary here older trumpeters that can still reach the top yeah uh, top notes although that's uh, yeah it's a bit superficial really to what we're talking about yeah yeah well what was the turning point for you um that i guess opened you up to building your own instruments and and maybe exploring more unconventional methods and and just well, like objects and things like that as opposed to just like a traditional instrument well i suppose suppose it was because, I mean, I had trumpet uh, lessons in secondary school from about the age of um, 13 or 14. And I was always more interested in playing the experimental music. I mean, I mean obviously there have been pieces, like uh, really experimental pieces that used the trumpet or prepared trumpet, you know, taking out the vowels and things. But I think I was always more interested in uh, prepared strings and making mm-hmm. Um, homemade strings. I mean, I don't see myself in any way as an instrument maker as such, because the particular instruments are very um, primitive indeed. You know, they're just pieces of wood with metal hooks and old electric guitar or any strings you can find. You mm-hmm. can put them over wood. And I found recently, it's really absurd that in most music shops you can find strings very cheaply i mean mm-hmm. there are the kind of ernie uh, what's it ernie something ernie gill strings uh, oh. i can't remember the surname but they're, they're very popular you can there are sets which are hugely expensive i think most music shops they have individual strings or a pound each yeah or something mm-hmm. I, I i didn't realize that that until recently i always and picked up the strings accidentally either for Jonathan or whoever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know part of your practice of making <laughs> your talking tapes was uh, for trading with specific people that you were connected to, sort of this tape trader network uh, yeah, around yeah. the world. So I, I kind of have two questions for you regarding that, and I'll, I'll just ask them individually here. First, I guess, how did you become aware of and, and maybe connected 
to that tape trader kind of world of sending off, you know, these different sound documents and trading that? Well, that, um, I think that first started about 1985 or 86. I'd moved to London. I mean, before that time, I'd lived in Surrey, which included those towns Ashford and Sunbury mentioned, until the age of about 23. And then I moved to Finsbury Park, which is very near where we are now, actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, Clive effectively lives in sort of Finsbury Park area and i must have picked up some some dresses in a sort of magazine underground magazine and i and i was aware of this it might have been an article about the home taper scene you know because mm-hmm. uh, there's real pioneer r stevie moore um i think was a kind of pioneer of that scene and I just thought, oh, this is interesting. I'll I'll send some tapes off and see what happens. And my, I think the first three were to uh, Zan Hoffman, Almog Gollis, okay. and perhaps a third person. But I mean, theoretically, the scene could be any music at all. You know, it's right. day, but it, it did tend to be the more experimental that, that these people concentrated on. So it was just. Yeah obviously like a pre-digital scene where you just sent off your tapes and hope for the best (laughs) people like them and you send and yeah they um they obviously found them of interest because uh you know al and and zen did send me the tapes back and i i found other addresses but very rarely did people not kind of uh reply or send stuff Mm -hmm. back there were a Mm -hmm. few people i contacted who never and sent anything or right. contact yeah yeah uh, but the vast majority you know and it's and it's a situation it's it, it just the, the process is it's sort of very kind of positive to receive something in the post and, and stuff like that it was always exciting i mean you didn't always i don't always like everything i received yeah. and obviously i don't like money uh, yeah so yeah. <laughs> it's the same way you know, it's yeah. just the whole process of it is interesting yeah i I, I still enjoy receiving mail the surprise of it the the surprise of it all well i guess my second question for you regarding those talking tapes is that i'm wondering if there is anything that distinguishes uh the talking tapes that you were recording and sending off to the these people you know in this tape trader network versus maybe what has appeared on the music and words series and i guess What I'm driving at here is, is there anything about those documents that hold any more personal significance to you? Or or are these essentially drawn from like the same master tapes that you recorded and and, and mailed out that are just a part of your archives? Well, I think that the uh, recordings chosen for uh, 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 the music and words CDs are, and, and, you know, I've given him um, full reign to do this they're they're actually from Clive making choices from those tapes I'll let him have some tapes that he he finds of interest obviously they're not in their original form uh, because sometimes they're C60s C90s and they'll just be uh, recorded for specific events because I 
there's um, several types of audio tape that I'm involved in. There's one where I hang on to the master tape. Mm -hmm. And obviously I'm not referring to any one person. So they, they could be themes. And, and I think all the ones that Clive has used have been themed ones right. where it's a particular event, either Easter, Christmas, mm -hmm. a travel abroad or to these um, towns, local towns that I right. travel to. And on those ones, I'm not referring to any one person, but they do send out a lot of tapes. And, and, and yeah, this is in England, abroad, the States or wherever, mm -hmm. where I'm, I'm, so, I'm um, referring to a particular person yep. and I don't hang on to a master yep. uh, for those. I just send them out. I, I do write in a notebook book i'm intuitive i play the tape and write sentences not the whole stuff because you fill up pages and pages right. and just have a record of what i've i've sent out but um uh, so i'm sorry if i'm i'm kind of, uh, repeating myself but i think no. that the ones that all the ones that alive has used are are those ones that are specific where i've kind of held on to the master right or well i have done some talking tapes for Kalai, where I'm referring yeah. to his name. Yeah, so, and that there's one, stuff, there's yeah. the, the, the one that you've recorded in London, the one that was the London one, had my name all over it, and it was actually a specifically recorded to me, but I cut out... Oh, I see, right, so you I, did use a bit I, of it. I, I, yeah. cut, I, cut out, I cut out my name, whatever you... <laughs> Oh, fine. That's Adam, right. Adam yeah, always yeah, refers yeah. to the person he's speaking. Yeah. You know, that he's saying it's like, uh, oh, and by the way, Clive, here's something. Here, this is what's happening there. So, but I took, yeah, I, time, I took right? out all that kind of yeah, personal right, yeah. reference. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, the, yeah. On very, on uh, music and words too. It's, it's uh, that was one. The London one is is addressed to me personally. Yeah. 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 But the rest have all been generic. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, let's uh, play some tracks here, and actually we'll kind of tie together a couple things that we've talked about in this first track. Uh, it's from the first uh, Music and Words. It is the At Home Fish Stock or Pussy track where you are listening to John Peel's Festive 50. So here's Adam Bowman. I'm still listening to John Peel's Festive 50 in the kitchen where the remains of our evening meal are still festering. Mashed potato. Five tomatoes on the windowsill. Brains must be prepared in much the same way as sweetbreads. They should first be put in a basin, and the basin put under a running cold tap for two or three hours. Then the fine membrane must be removed and any little bits of blood. They must then be put in a brulon, brought to the boil and simmered for three quarters of an hour. I prefer them cut out. The Godfather Part 3 is coming to an end. In a club, the chef would probably buy a whole turbot. A turbotin, young turbot, maybe quite small, so it might be bought by the housewife or house husband. If you do, cut off its head and degut it, keeping the head for fish stock or pussy. A small household is more likely to buy turbot either in steaks or in a piece of about three pounds for four and pro rata. Do not skin it. 
The black skin comes off very easily after cooking, and the white skin should stay on. Saturday morning, it looks very cold outside. It's about 9.55. Baked beans, bacon, toast, and a cup of coffee have been consumed. Inside the Elmsley Shopping Centre, listening to the Salvation Army Band, Davies angling. I'm looking round the back streets of Staines. I've decided I'll have a pint at the Hob Goblin pub. As on previous occasions, Ashford is my next destination. Then on to Sunbury. <laughs> Rotary Club of Ashford. attached to two Christmas trees on top of the car as well. Message to parents. As responsible parents, we protect our children by teaching them the rules and regulations of water safety, fire safety, and bicycle safety, among others. This book will help you and your child learn the most important safety lesson of all, body safety. As you go through this book with your child, or a child you care about, it's important to take the time to be supportive and available for any questions they might have. If you feel awkward or embarrassed, you should direct the questions to someone else your child feels comfortable with. Above all, the child must receive the answers and the information that will help him or her deal with a dangerous situation. This book is not meant to scare but rather to educate. Children need to learn the words and phrases in this book and use them to say no, to tell their parents if something is wrong and to be able to avoid dangerous situations. Adults, in turn, must learn to listen 
and must give their children the freedom to tell children's justice foundation i found this record and two paperback books outside everything is coated with frost um what are we having for the evening meal tonight cheese and bacon followed by tribal Jonathan just came into the bedroom where I was reading and gave me two chunks of homemade Turkish delight. The consistency was wrong, but the taste was quite pleasant. Twenty past two in the morning. Jonathan's still downstairs watching the Quiller Memorandum. I saw about an hour of it. They kept on dozing off.
right down to the waterfall and feel all the watery vibration. Come right down to the waterfall and feel all the watery vibrations. You can sing and feel so tall, experiencing all the sensations. Forties was really horrible. I mean, I don't think I've ever met anybody as horrible as he was. He's going to beat people up for no reason or anything like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Come right down to the waterfall and feel all the watery vibrations. 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 Come right down to the waterfall and feel all the watery vibrations. You can sing and feel so tall, experiencing the wild sensation. <coughs> Watery sensation to the waterfall and feel all the watery vibrations. I don't know, I don't really know what we're going to do with him really, I mean he's a terrible bloke, you know what I mean? I mean it's really awful. Ah! Say goodbye to him now, right? Yeah, okay, right. Right, alright, and see you then, boys. Yeah, right, right, okay, right, okay, yeah. I'm a little slow, as happy as can be. I'm crawling along the ground, feeling so very happy. I see a little pellet, it looks so green and juicy. I sink my teeth right in. I munch away the...
bet you didn't know slugs went to heaven, but they do. Cause I'm here now. many takeaways that I had from watching that documentary about you and your artistic practice. It's called By Bureau and Umbrella Spring, a, a really wonderful documentary, I, I should add, but um, it was, it was yeah, beautiful, uh, beautiful documentary. But um, I, I, I thought it was interesting is that you genuinely seem to be having quite a bit of fun and, and you were amused by being out and documenting and making uh, these talking tapes. Um, so I guess for you, is, is the practice a means of documenting a, a certain time and place for you? Or, or are you just always sort of carrying a tape recorder with you? And if something catches your eye, you document it. Or are you, if something catches your attention, you have that recorder on hand uh, to, to create something? Uh, no, it, it's a bit more kind of self-conscious than that really mm-hmm. um i always do tapes of, uh, for a particular purpose or, okay although the process is fairly spontaneous i'll i'll think oh, it'll be a good idea to record some tapes for a particular person and because the postal prices here are so astronomical mm-hmm. Um, I don't do so much of this. So I usually store up about three packages or, or, or something and send them off all at one time, which makes it slightly easier, although it, it's still very expensive. So I, I don't think I've ever kind of gone round, you know, started the C90 and got on round, you know, out and about, and I'll hear an interesting sound and I'll, I'll record it. it. It's always in a context of recording for a particular situation and a situational person yeah and is this i mean for you it's a bit like improvising where you're kind of out and about things catch your eye i mean are you just going about your business uh living your life going to i think i know you go to charity shops and go into restaurants yeah and it's just and that's just sort of thing like i said things that catch your attention while you're going about your business that's what you document uh, yeah that's right i mean it's it i mean i i don't like to think of a particular aesthetic uh, because i have the idea that if you think about things kind of too much you kind of mm-hmm. destroy the spontaneity i never want to write a thesis on <laughs> talking taste but there are particular ideas i'm interested in the kind of mundane right. sort of quality of things yep. because as i remember some time ago it's all right to mention people's names the california percussionist kind of gino rope bear mm-hmm. um who i'm in in the improvising scene and i mean i sent him couple of tapes to him and I and it, it was really jokey you know I thought that um 
you know, terribly like cliched. I thought he'd be kind of attending like cocaine parties and all this, <laughs> and this sort of thing, you know, kind of Hollywood. I, I sort of made a thing, you know, it's not all kind of sunshine and smiles yeah. here. But I mean, sometimes I do wallow in the mundane a bit too much. But there's an in- interesting question that emerges from from this because I mean, even if you were sort of attending cocaine parties and orgies all the time, <laughs> if if you were recording that, would that necessarily be more interesting than <laughs> than reading labels in a supermarket? It's an arguable point. So it's not really this case. It's very abstract thing, thing to think about you know this idea of most people's lives are very are kind of mundane anyway the idea of searching around for things that are exciting is is totally alien to me yeah you, uh, you can find interest in even the most sort of mundane things and i i'm sort of slightly suspicious of using that word mundane yeah anyway. yeah so, you know mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, another film I, I recently watched was uh, Peter Strickland's movie from 2012, that Barbarian Sound Studio. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and you and your brother have a little brief cameo appearance. And from that's my right. from my reading of it, the the main character was reportedly sort of loosely inspired by you and, and your and your sound work amongst other people of course but but while watching yeah. yeah while watching the movie i was curious if if you have ever created sound in a manner that we see in that film by that i mean have you kind of made sounds in conjunction with video content and i do realize that there is some sound piece of yours in that film and yeah. previous Peter Strickland films, but have you have you done anything like that, or have you done anything like that in say like a live setting where you have video stuff being projected behind you? Yes, it's not a major part of what I do, but there have been a number of people that have filmed either myself or Jonathan or other ensembles, um, and we've interacted with it, and that's sort of. I wouldn't have thought it's a major part, but you know, I like people filming it's uh, it's a good thing but i think i have to be like very honest here uh because with the peter strickland film um it it became a bit of a problem he did want me and this is being totally honest which i think Mm -hmm. i should be the thing i I mean i have to admit i'm not an actor you know i can't actually memorize you saw sheets of dialogue which even in a film like that, he's a, yeah. a Toby Jones, who's now a really famous actor. Right. Um, uh, you know, he's on all over the place in Hollywood films and, you know, playing Alfred Hitchcock. I I don't really have that set of skills. So it, it was a bit, I mean, all the pieces that uh, myself or Jonathan and I read, all the text pieces, we have the, uh, we have the right. pieces of paper in front of them. We don't actually memorize it. Right, we, right very difficult for even the professional actor to memorize kind of abstract text and that and just, just do it immediately. I mean, obviously there's some actors who probably could do that. So you have to sort of um, take that into account really. Yeah. But I'm sure it, it would be possible to be in some films if it was um, just a few lines and he had enough time yeah. to learn beforehand. But I find it a bit... I find it. I find that a bit intimidating. You'd have to have, uh, you'd have to have specific training to do that. The memory 
Yeah, yeah. Actors. I mean, I mean, some actors you can put a sort of page in in front of them; they'll memorize it just like that. You know? Yeah, I think I don't I'm able to do that. So. Right. I I think I was uh, part of my question was, have you created like your sound work that you've produced? Have you done it to sort of uh, capture what is on a on a you know like video content? Like, have you done that where you've produced sound specifically for a film or anything like that? Uh, uh, not really. No, I mean, it, I mean, it just so happens that my table or uh, whatever surface I'm setting up on um, is visually very interesting. Yeah. I very rarely pick objects for their visual kind of in, in interpretation. Yeah. Okay. Um, it, 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 it's usually because I found those objects are interesting as far as sound is concerned. So I'm not thinking so much in the visual yeah. sense. Yeah, I mean there are uh, with the trios included Bronte and uh, you know other groups. There is a kind of theatrical. There's a slight theatrical um, kind of impetus there, but it's always linked in some way with sound. It's not separate to yeah. sound, generally speaking. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm interpreting David's question slightly differently. It's like I'm thinking: mm. Have you ever worked? You know, have you ever done anything specifically for a soundtrack? Is that yeah? That that's yeah. That was what I was. Uh, I guess yeah. My question was probably not very clear. I can't remember doing anything specific there. But you are making a film at the moment. Is that not the case? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, that's done. Um, yeah, that's right. What's the person say? I've forgotten his uh, name. James Holcomb. Oh, James Holcomb. Yeah, yeah. Right. But even there, that it, it's a kind of separate from. Uh, no, perhaps you're right. Actually, maybe there is more of a link there. Well, I, I, between the yeah. music. Well, but it, it's all in separate bits of film at the moment. It's okay. Got to be edited together. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, spread across the three volumes of the music and words series along with the bun hill row album you know there are several really fun and i'd say playful songs that you wrote which is yes. something that you're probably not really known for but does is songwriting something that holds any appeal to you is that something you like could there be a, an adam bowman plays the hits kind of album coming out at some point uh, possibly, <laughs> uh, because there was a kind of transitional stage during the 80s, if that doesn't sound too pompous, where it was kind of experimental music mixed with songs. And then I, I went over the more experimental sort of noises. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i an improviser as well in the London sort of scene or wherever. Right. You know, I've played abroad doing that sort of music. But... Uh, not so much. I mean, I, I mean, it's still possible, but uh, so I'm not so interested in doing songs now. But it, but there's still the possibility of doing that. Yeah, know? yeah. Well, the third volume of the Music and Word series just came out on, on Clive's yeah. Paradigm Discs imprint, and yeah. I guess maybe between the two of you here, could you could you describe the the period of time that these recordings come from? I'm. Um, I guess I kind of like how, and you've described this previously, how there's sort of a link with the talking tapes kind of form a consistency yeah. throughout these releases. Um, but I guess in terms of like track selections and sequencing, Adam, do you have any involvement in this or is this, you just hand this over and, and it's 
it's Clive's, uh, he takes on that task at that point. Well, he takes on that task. Uh, yeah, yeah, very much so. But I, I have my own input. I mean, if there's any particular track that I didn't like at all, it wouldn't be included. But yeah. um, I think it's better. I, mean, I don't run a label. Or, I mean, it's a whole whole area that, uh, that I, I uh, don't have expertise mm-hmm. in, so it's easier to let Clive, whereas I'd be um, around his flat all the time, you know, <laughs> or, or something. It, it's not really uh, particularly... Uh, I don't think it would, would would be practical to do that. But I mean, I like the uh, CD. Uh, I like the third CD very much. It's an interesting mixture of yeah. different pieces, you know, different types of approach. Yeah, I, I should back up because I threw a couple questions at you. The recordings on this particular release, same era and everything as the previous ones, or is there anything that you recall about what this material was drawn from? It's- well, I, I mean, I have a lot of um, Adam's tapes here. In fact, probably all of the archive from those early days. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I kind of keep them here. Um, and I, I digitized them all. I digitized them all again, actually, because I found a better cassette recorder. Mm. Uh, the Sony Walkman Pro, such a nice machine. <laughs> and uh, I, I borrowed one and used that and, and just I don't I didn't even have to do any mastering or cleaning up or anything. It just sounded fine. So, um, so that's what the volume three is entirely done using that machine. Okay. And, um, yeah, the pieces are from, they're from different eras. I just, I just really put the the CD, there's no chronology to the CD whatsoever. It's, it's merely just what, what fitted with what. So it's, yeah, yeah, it's like like one gigantic jigsaw puzzle really, because there are so many, there are so many tapes and there's, there's so many considerations what to use and not use. So. So what is it? It's three volumes now, and they're all about an hour and a quarter. So it's yeah. it's, it's about four hours of material, and there might be another good hour's worth left mm. in the can. Mm. It's just a case of you know collaging it into this thing, and it's much easier for me to do that by myself than. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I agree with that. I mean, there were some tapes in that that sort of early period, obviously like mm. pre-digital, I mean, everything that uh, we recorded from those other. Uh, situations I was talking about the duo with Jonathan right. and, and and the music with the two friends you know, in the Surrey Astro Sunbury area where there was some tapes it sounds really egotistic there were some early tapes which I was listening to all the time you know, listening like solo stuff oh yeah that, that does tend to wear it down so a lot of the tapes that Clive's has um, as used, I'm talking about the music mm-hmm. um, specifically, are ones that weren't played that were just left. I mean, obviously they were using kind of old technology, but it's um, just if you put the microphones in the right place, it can sound fairly good. You know, yeah, you just yeah. need those tapes, and they're fairly in, in fairly good condition. You know. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we'll play uh, a few tracks here from the new release that kind of breaks up and showcases the different styles because there's sort of the songs, there's the talking yes. tape piece, the sort of the pause pieces. And I thought, uh, let's play one of the hit songs, Adam, Adam the hit maker here, uh, mm-hmm. The Yellow Rose of Zork yes. to start off this set.
place to eat the heart and hand tattoo and piercing studio wizard of England Oakley commercial and residential property throughout Sussex wooden board painted a deep egg yolk yellow with purple writing further down purple with yellow writing in a pub the old king and queen ordered fish and chips in front of me now is a pint of full ice and a packet of plain crisps the pubs done up for Halloween with artificial cobwebs everywhere the salt, pepper and tartar sauce were in sachets but I returned to the counter to obtain a bottle of vinegar the meal's finished and the pint of beer three quarters of the way through look round for another 45 minutes and aluminium urinal with pieces of blue and green detergent it's unusual for me but I don't have the same enthusiasm to look round the shop another pub, the seven stars blackboard, pink and green chalk Roasted peppers and Bramley apple crusted bread, 3.95 mains, chicken liver pate, toasted bread and salad garnish, bacon, tomato, melted brie, open sandwich, salad garnish, spicy, fresh chutney, breast of West Country chicken stuffed, brie wrapped in parma ham, served with wilted spinach and new potatoes. That would set you back 11 pounds. 25 linguine mediterranean veg spinach and goat's cheese with rich white wine sauce walking down ship street the white chasm at the end indicates the scene at number 15 james hull associates dental care 
cosmetic dentistry. Cosmetic options include tooth whitening, veneers, crowns and bridges, Invisalign clear braces. Some pure art of naughty little XX exhibition works for sale by over 40 erotic artists, sensual paintings, rude and nude sculptures, saucy illustrations, kinky neon lights, spellbinding photography, erotic limited edition prints. Boutique Brighton, spelled B E A U T I Q U E. Dermalogica treatment, Oxyjet star face and body treatments, the ultimate in oxygen, no needle alternative to cosmetic injections, Oxyjet microdermabrasion, lipoinfralite, cellulite, inch loss treatments, nail bar waxing, OPI, manicures and pedicures, massage and reflexology, St. Tropez tanning, Whatever that is, I resisted the temptation to see the erotic exhibition.
been involved in, in in numerous collaborations and projects over the years. I think we could devote an entire multi-part series to the various uh, collaborations uh, that you've done over the years. But uh, I think we could say that one of your longest running collaborators is your brother, Jonathan, of course, uh, yeah. where you guys have recorded and performed together as the Bowman Brothers. And I guess I'm wondering if, like the recordings that have been featured on the Music and Words series, or or like the previously mentioned uh, in their 70s release, 
Um, if you and Jonathan have quite an extensive archive of recordings that could be put to use for future releases. Uh, not necessarily. I mean, it's interesting you asking that question. I really have to think about that a lot. Um, I'm not sure that there are. There's probably a lot of live concerts that have mm. Bowman Brothers material. John, Jonathan's a, a really um, sort of avid archivist, and he, mm. he has absolutely loads of my tapes and things, so he's going through that. Okay. I'm not sure that there's a sort of huge amount of material that we've recorded in Chertsey or Sunbury or anywhere like that, but there's certainly a lot of material that are live performances, uh, uh, mostly from venues in London, but outside. So you could probably put together a CD of that type of material. And also, you might not know this, but there was a larger ensemble called the Bowman Brothers Extend. Okay, family, which was, um, I, I think, it was formed in about two thousand, and Jonathan was in in touch with several people, and it it became difficult for a uh, from a practical point of view to keep it going. It was almost like a band with an international cast: you know, the Welshman, yeah. uh, Richard Thomas, and the Japanese w- woman who was like the then girlfriend of Richard Thomas as a, a Danish person and yeah. a Polish and yeah the lineups changed all the time but it was very difficult from a practical yeah. point of view to have rehearsals because they're all kind of individuals who are doing different things but there are um there are a few tapes of the sort of Bowman family Sure. Sort of uh, recordings, you know, in other situations as well. Yeah. I mean, even thinking back, I kind of look through, I mean, you two have not put out a lot of, um, I guess, proper releases over the years. I mean, just there's maybe a handful of full lengths. Do you, do you see your work with your brother more as a, a vehicle for, I guess, for performance? Uh, like that's, you prefer to do that. Uh, not necessarily. I don't think I've ever thought about it like that. It's mm-hmm. just whatever sort of comes in. I'm not so involved in the practical side of things as Jonathan is, yeah. kind of collecting the material together and editing it. Okay. And things like that. No, it's interesting that you, uh, you should ask that question. I've never really thought of it. Okay. Uh, I've kind of thought about it in that way. But, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, you know, I really enjoy the the text pieces that I've heard that you and Jonathan have recorded and performed just the things that I could uncover uh, oh, yeah. in, in this case you know I, I appreciate YouTube for that uh, but but there, there's such an interesting interplay between you two and this really kind of impeccable comedic timing that you you two have developed and I, I was curious about just the the text pieces in general and how these are written. Are, are do you guys write? Is it written like almost like a graphic score, uh, in in the sense that it maps out, you know, certain phrases, certain words that need to sort of happen in a certain sequence, or is this more like you two improvising uh, on these separate text pieces? Well, not- Really, no. I mean, I tend to write the majority of the text pieces, yeah. And it, it's it's fairly formal, though they're abstract pieces in a sense. It's fairly formal, 
and and you know i really enjoy writing they take a long time some of them mm-hmm. but it, it's like um just over the past three or four years it, it's a, been a procedure where you read a, a text i mean sometimes not necessarily uh, gathering the actual material from that text you take the first letter um uh, um of every word and you, you just write lines then you okay. find words that begin with those letters in another text you know okay. so it has an abstract and yeah there have been kind of other i mean this isn't strictly relevant i work with uh, two saxophonists who married a couple, uh, 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 Adrian Northover and Sue Lynch. Mm-hmm. And we've done um, CDRs where it, it's some of my text pieces. And it, it's like a particular theme that in, inspires the text piece. Like there's one called Ivy Leaf, Ivy Leaf, Ivy League, where mm-hmm. I, I just happened to have this book about Ivy and then there was a record on uh, from the 50s, an EP, uh, that had Ivy League kind of songs on it. Mm-hmm. And I used the sleeve, uh, the text on the sleeve. And also in that, that case, we're reading out. I I mean, uh, Sue and Adrian are very good musicians in the formal sense. And they learned some of these Ivy League songs on the yeah. saxophone. Oh, so we yeah. had that included in the piece. So it's... It, it's sort of, I mean, it, it's difficult to um, kind of summarise this because a lot of different ways. Sure, and yeah. More recently, this, this might sound very corny, this is a piece that we've performed in like different ways with the trio, with uh, Secluded Bronte and uh, Duo. I think, I think there's even the solo version of it, um, a text piece where, um, what was it, um, the uh, singer, the rock singer, Roy Orbison. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. If you look at that, those two words. It's Roy or Bison. <laughs> so uh, Jonathan sent me two books: one on Roy Orbison, one on Bison, and we kind of combined <laughs> the two. And it, it's sort of hu- um, humorous. There were sections where the performers had to read out uh, the Roy Orbison. Uh, uh, the Royal text, not the songs, but yeah, the yeah. text of the book yeah. in the way that a bison would read it out. There's <laughs> an element of humour, but it's more strange than um, humorous. So there's a lot of different. I mean, sometimes the text piece can begin just by some linguistic ambiguity. Yeah, yes, yeah. And, you know, like Ivy Leaf, Ivy Leaf. You can go down that track. I mean. And, I mean, sometimes as uh, one I'm reading, I'm writing now for four performers. I usually oh. make them adaptable. So I'd say you know, this could be for two, three or four performers where it's using a lot of different uh, uh, materials, a playbook, as an English playwright or controversial one, Edward Bond. Okay. And then there's Hugh, uh, Victor Hugo, uh, Toilers on the Sea. And there's another beatnik uh, novel not by a particularly well-known writer but mm-hmm. really over the top kind of you know subject jack kerouac and i think with this one there's about 10 sources and you use that uh and this whole watch of material where i've taken the first letters uh, 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 from other sources that are not used to 
get the words. So I mean, it'll take me a long time to do that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think it's about 792 words for each person. <sighs> oh my. Yeah. Okay. We could just yeah. use, uh, uh, we're sort of off on a tour of North of England playing Sheffield and, and several other places. I mean, I'm something that Jonathan has, has fixed up. So I might be able to take the first four sections of that, you know, okay. and perform, I just have to, and see how much I can do in the next two days or so. But yeah, yeah. There's like different possibilities. And I think that the text pieces, uh, particularly in 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 terms of um, in terms of the work with Jonathan, they've changed a lot over the years. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, initially that uh, there was named from some park in Canada, uh, like a national park or towns in Texas and. And, and we use that as a kind of a template for pieces. So yeah. I think if you heard the early kind of material, uh, the text piece, there was no, I mean, interestingly, I, I don't think we'd started that. The first Bone Brothers CD, you know, a, a sort of a twist from a, all pockets, there's no text pieces on that at all. Mm-hmm. It was just later on that uh, we develop that side of it yeah and i think i'll play something here in this next uh, block uh, purely practical where it's getting at what you're talking about like dewalt uh saws and, and yeah, what have yeah, yeah it was from a london firm that sold uh, yeah. drill bits and <laughs> right. uh, yeah, that sort of thing you know mixed with um and the uh, and the interesting thing on the other side i mean again i can't remember exactly how I put it together, but West Nomlets, yeah. it, it uses a, um, strangely, it uses sounds from a Western that's not really that fantastic, it has like Burt Lancaster and <laughs> Lee Remick in it. There's yeah. a sort of humorous Western. I think Lee Remick is a, I'm sort of like Salvation Army woman, and <laughs> Burt Lancaster's a sort of a, Colonel in the Civil War, sure. it's something like that. But yeah, well, it has the usual sounds of sort of people firing guns, <laughs> Indians whooping. And that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you had mentioned uh, being involved in like the improvised scene in, in London. Is are you still involved in the London Improvisers Orchestra? Is that still an active uh, group, an active orchestra? That's right. It, it's still active it i mean it meets on the first sunday of every month okay in a variety of venues the last one uh last sunday was in uh, st mary's old church in stoke newington uh which is north london fairly near here actually and you know in previous occasions been a eclectic near waterloo uh Cafe Oto and Dalston, yeah, places like that. It, it sort of changes, and 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 obviously, uh, at every time the orchestra meets, it'll be a different lineup. Mm-hmm. You know, people turning up. Yeah, and stuff. it's always enjoyable. You know, and we, I mean, it's always the same format, or nearly always the same one. Uh, we meet for an evening uh, uh, rehearsal, evening or late afternoon rehearsal, and then there's a live performance in the evening. And people try out, um, try out their uh, uh, conductions. And, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, and um, um, sort of conducting the orchestra with a whole load of signals that the yeah. orchestra yeah. members of that. You might have heard about this. As, oh yeah, yeah. 
Do you wave yeah. your? Do you have your uh, your conductors? Your is it? But but not a baton. Do you? But, what am I thinking of? <laughs> not really. No, <laughs> I've done kind of specific pieces. You know, yeah, rather yeah, than yeah. conductions. Yeah, but, but but no, it's always enjoyable. And obviously, um, I mean, sometimes it's a success, other times not so. You know, <laughs> right? Yeah, and you know those two people I mentioned, Adrian and Sue, always turn up as well. So. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think to wrap things up here, um, you had alluded to a couple of things. You've got some live dates dates coming up. I think Jonathan, when I was corresponding with him to set this up, had mentioned that you were playing some shows. Is there any yeah, other, right. any it's, other things you can mention here in the in the weeks and months ahead that you have going on? It's a bit hard hard to say because I, 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 I don't know specific dates, but I, uh, I think we're playing in in uh, Rotterdam, okay, and France as well, okay, and I think Zurich as well. We're playing there, okay. Do you have any other uh, like recordings that are things that you're working on for for the months ahead? Uh, uh, not really at the moment. No, there isn't anything at, at the moment. Okay, but there are uh, two or three CDs that are available, uh, which is more improvisation based yeah. one with other people. You know, not yeah. Jonathan Richard, uh, yeah. Well, as I mentioned, we're going to play uh, the the track purely practical from the Bowman Brothers, one of these great text pieces, and we'll probably uh, wrap up with a few more tracks. But Adam. Thanks so much for your time. It's been a pleasure talking with you and learning a little bit more about your background. Likewise, yeah, yeah, very enjoyable. Wodkin Burrsgreen, eighty-five radial saw, fourteen-inch motorized, four hundred stroke, four forty volt, type fourteen-inch VRA, two hundred sixty-six pounds. Radial saw, 14-inch, motorized 230 stroke 250 volt, type 14-inch BRA, 280 pounds 45. Radial saw, 16-inch, motorized 400 stroke 440 volt, type 16-inch BRA, 338 pounds. Radial saw, 16-inch. Motorized 230 stroke 250 volt, type 16 inch BRA. 86 multi head radial saws. Black and Decker DeWalt. 87 DeWalt radial arm saw. 14 inch motorized 400 stroke 440 volt. Model 1420. Not illustrated. 200 not illustrated. 14 inch. Motorized. 400 stroke 440 volt. Model 1600. Not illustrated. 265 pounds. 14 inch. Motorized. 230 stroke 250 volt. Model 1600. Not illustrated. 
288 pounds, 14 inch, motorized, 230 stroke, 250 volt, model 1700, 14 inch, motorized, 400 stroke, 440 volt, model 1875, 307 pounds, 14 inch, motorized, 230 stroke, 250 volt, model 1875, not available, 89 DeWalt radial arm saw, 16 inch, motorized, 400 stroke, 440 volt, model 1635, stroke 6, stroke 16 inch, 493 pounds. 16-inch long-arm motorized 400 stroke 440 volt model 1635 stroke 61 stroke 16-inch not illustrated. 533 pounds. 20-inch motorized 400 stroke 440 volts. Model 1635 stroke 6 stroke 20-inch not illustrated at 509 pounds. Twenty inch long arm motorized 400 stroke 440 volt model 1635 stroke 6L stroke 20 inch not illustrated model S40 549 pounds 19 and a half inch double arm automatic radial arm saw now available full details on request 94 lip trimming machine motorized 400 stroke 440 volt type LT-750, 304 pounds, motorized, 230 stroke 250 volt, type LT-750, Black and Decker DeWalt, 95 DeWalt two-way panel saw, motorized 230 stroke 50 volt, Type T-463-12, motorized 230 stroke 250 volt. Type T-563-12, motorized 230 stroke 250 volt. Type T-483-12, motorized 230 stroke 250 volt. Type T, type 583-12, motorized, 230 stroke 250 volt, type T, type 583-14. What Wilson, 92, cross-cutting printing machine, 18 inch, 14 inch motorized, 400 440 type LCZ. 498 pounds, 14-inch 
18 Unmotorized. inch motorized type 7 motorized PBS type 40 40 18 pounds Model 90 dash 18 7 inch motorized motorized 400 PRS stroke 440 stroke volt M, Model 31 T pounds dash 
Oh, round off the right. 
And that's going to bring things to an end for this installment of the show. I'd like to thank Adam once again for taking the time to chat with me and for making the long trek across London in order to do so. I also want to extend a thanks to Clive Graham and Jonathan Bowman for helping arrange this interview. If you'd like to check out the complete playlist for this episode, you can go to our website at freeformfreakout.com. There are links that will bring you to each of the releases played and where you can purchase either physical or digital copies. As always, I encourage you to support labels like Paradigm Discs and the others represented on this show and artists like Adam as much as you can. If you have any questions or comments, you can always get in touch with me at fffreakout at hotmail.com. I'll be back again in a couple of weeks with another new episode. Until then, thanks so much for listening. <laughs>